Hello, Love Chapel Hill. Oh my goodness, I'm so glad that you are joining us today. No matter where you are, I am happy you are here. My name is Joel, and I have had the pleasure and the honor to serve as your Connections Pastor for the last 15 months. And outside of uh, the honor of being a husband and a father, it's just been such a pleasure and a joy to lead and serve and love with all of you over this last year. Even though it's been such a tumultuous, crazy, joyful, changing year, uh, I appreciate every one of you and it's been so great to get to know you uh, even better and know each other. Uh, Today, we are going to talk about a passage that I'm so excited about. Uh, When Pastor Matt asked all the summer speakers this year to um, uh, speak on something that really touched their hearts, and I knew right exactly where I wanted to go. This is actually something that I had actually had a chance at another church to speak on about 10 years ago. And this little side side note for you today, but... uh, If you ever have a passage of scripture that just continually speaks to you, that just happily haunts you, go back to it. It is a overflowing well of goodness and love and growth. Keep going back, especially if you're new to reading the Bible. It is okay. There's a lot there to learn, a lot to grow on. But if there's something that really just, just the Holy Spirit speaking to you, it is okay to keep going back. So that for me, this is that passage. This is that person we're going to talk about today. Uh, But before we get started, let's pray together. Lord Jesus, God, we just love you and thank you for all that you've done for us. We thank you for this opportunity, no matter where we are, uh, to be together, even though we are apart. Lord, I just ask you right now that even though it's my mouth speaking today, that it is your words that come and Lord, that open up the hearts and ears and minds of those that are listening today to hear what you want to say, to let this story come to life, Lord. We love you. Holy Spirit, you are here. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, let me ask you a question. How far can you see? At least physically, you're probably in a room since you're watching this online. Probably looking out to me, I'm in a big theater and I have some space to look around, but I still have limitations of what I can physically see. What about seeing into your future or your past. Uh, The best we can do is use the context of where we are now to look towards the future and to project what we can see. But when in doubt, there's still limitations. And what do we do when we have limitations? Uh, Either we could quit and just say, this is the best we can do. We can stay where we are. We can also change our focus, change our position, do something different, look, look farther. We can fill in gaps, use our imagination, but we can get innovative. But one of the cool things about Scripture, the entire Bible, Old and New Testament, is this view that is written down for us to dive into, to explore by a living and breathing God. All the way back from Genesis, from the moment of the fall of man, the moment centered to this world, we see a picture, a narrative, a story of where God has set a redemptive path and that went through so many different stories along the way that found its way to our Savior Jesus. So we're going to talk about a story today that kind of lands right into in the middle of that. 
There's, there's an important part where we see in the book of Luke and the book of Matthew where we see the genealogy of Jesus, and it stretches all the way back to Abraham. So we have Abraham to David, from David's family to Jesus. This is the prophecy. This is the fulfillment of Scripture. This is the fulfillment of restoration for mankind. Well, we, let's stop in the middle. Let's look at David. This story today is actually not about David, not directly at least. But David... How did David come to be David? Well, it came from another man named Samuel. Samuel was a priest that God used, and he listened to find David in his family. He, David actually wasn't probably the natural first choice. It's a beautiful story. You should go back and read it. But Samuel listened to the Lord and found David and put David in that place of kingship, which God used to spread his lineage all the way to Jesus. It's cool how those connections uh, lie. But this story is not even quite about Samuel. Let's go back to how Samuel came. This is where we will find our hero today. This is where we're going to find where God uh, works within somebody's life that was in a position of limited view. They had a box around them, four walls, could see only the situation they were in, that decided to reach out and look to the one that could see it all. We're going to find this passage in 1 Samuel. Uh, We're going to start in chapter 1. We're going to read the first eight verses. It says, There was was a certain man from Ramathane, a Zephite, from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jerham, the son of Aluhu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zeph, an Ephraimite. He had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, this man went up from this town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Humphni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Wherever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Peninnah and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he gave a double portion, because he loved her, and the Lord had closed her womb. Because the Lord had closed Anna's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Her husband Elkanah would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't don't I mean more to you than ten sons? So here we have uh, have some characters. We have Elkanah, the husband, father, Penina, and Hannah, his two wives. They're on this trip, uh, so just a little context here that uh, we can tell by the, the passage where he's passing out the meat to his family. He's on his way to one of the three annual Jewish festivals. Most likely this was the Sukkot festival, where they would build tents and booths and, and to, as representations of tabernacles in celebration, remembrance from the people of Israel uh, being coming out of Egypt on the way to the land of Canaan. This was also an occasion where there was a lot of drinking and eating and celebration of the uh, year's harvest that they had had. This was also probably a moment where there was like a fellowship sacrifice where uh, they would burn part of the sacrifice that each family would bring uh, and then share amongst each other in the family, as we see in the story where Elkanah gives a double portion to Hannah. Elkanah, he had two wives. Obviously, that's not a good idea to do today, but uh, we have to look at the context and differences of what they had at that time. Uh, most likely, we see in the story here that Hannah could not bear children. 
maybe Penina could have been a solution to a problem there that she was able to bear children. Uh, kind of harken back to Abraham and Sarah, where God promised them that they would bear children in old age and they couldn't wait. So they brought in Hagar and again, another uh, place where the solution to one problem created another. Uh, but we see here that Elkanah does love Hannah. Uh, not very good at it. Uh, he's given her these double portions. Uh, he's saying, why am I not better than 10 sons? He believes he should be the savior of her story, that he is enough, that he is everything. But I would imagine that his house is pretty divided. You have one wife that is broken and torn and feels insignificant, and then you have another wife that just kind of has everything. So then we meet Hannah. Hannah's our hero today. We're going to talk about Hannah. Hannah's here at this festival here in Shiloh. It's a time of special prayer, a time for great joy and celebration for what God has done for the people in the past and what they've done that year in that harvest. It's a time for celebration and plentiful, plentiful harvest. But Hannah has no joy. She's pitied. She's ashamed. She's helpless. She's trapped in her life and she's hopeless. Let's back up here for, or let's step in the present here for a second. I want to make sure that this is clear, that this story is about a woman that is barren. Um, she feels her, we'll talk some of the cultural meanings of this, of how important that is for her. But also I want to be very clear that uh, for you today, that uh, in our cultural context, it, we're not saying that the, the worth or the value of a woman is by the ability to bear children, but let's look at what it is like for Hannah and her society. So Israel was a society that was agrarian. It was land cultivating, which meant more sons, meant more people to work the, 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 the land, the farm. It meant more pe- less people that had to hire to run the farms. It meant bigger harvest, higher stature within the community, financial stability. Even children were a form of a retirement plan for them, a 401k. So when you got old and sick, who took care of you but your family? Children were also uh, part of the greater community. They were a benefit. They were the national security of the, of the area. The, the boys were, uh, the men were the soldiers. They also built the walls. They built the buildings that create the city. To have children, uh, multiple children in a family meant you really participated and you you, uh, really pushed into the community itself. And so a woman that was able to bear a lot of children was actually uh, was in a position of honor. They were considered heroes within their social context, heroes to man. So someone like Hannah, who was barren, that couldn't participate in society, that couldn't participate even in her own family, that had no future, nobody to take care of her. The idea of being barren was just hopelessness. In Hannah's society, she was a failure. She was insignificant. And then you hear this part of the story where uh, Penina is provoking her. I'm not even sure Penina had to actually even say anything, but probably just her mere presence, day in and day out, doing exactly what Hannah could not do. Uh, her children running around Hannah, working with Hannah. There was enough to just just poke needles constantly into her sorrow, into her grief, pointing out day in and day out how insignificant she was in her society. It's, it's interesting the word provoke uh, used in this term in Hebrew, in Hebrew in this passage is to thunder or to roar like a storm. Hannah literally was caught in a hurricane of hopelessness and despair. She was trapped in her limitations. She could only see 
her situation. She needed God to intervene. Only God could bring the hope. Let's return to the scripture. In verse 9 through 20, it says, Once they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Pay attention to that. Hannah stood up. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all his days, his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, How long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Let's pause for a second here. I am going to say Eli did make a very bad assumption, but let's look at the context. He is at essentially a big festival, a party. There are people drinking. His job is to protect the temple as the priest. He's sitting at the temple, and that's where we see where Hannah had went to. She went right to the doors of the temple where Eli was. So Eli did make a bad assumption here, but he's also protecting the temple. Verse 15 says, Not so, my lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, May your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Early the next morning they arose and worshipped before the Lord, then went back to their home of Ramah. Elkanah made love to his wife Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, Because I asked the Lord for him. In hopelessness, Hannah got up. Hannah got up. The author here is not simply stating she put her plate down, got up, and went across the room. No, he is depicting she made a choice. She got up. She indicated that this is a decision. The Torah speaks of the festivals as an occasion to appear before God. Hannah used this moment to go see God. In her torment, she learned, she leaned into God for change. Her prayer changed. She starts off with, remember me. This is her hearkening back to the hundreds, maybe even thousands of prayers. She has said day in, day out, God, give me a son. She also is petitioning to a God that she perceives that sees her in her insignificance, that sees her in her brokenness, beaten, hurt, a failure, a God of the underdog. She entered this place bitter, broken. She didn't wait. She didn't get herself right and fixed and tried to fix herself up before presenting herself to God. No, she came raw and real. She overcame her limited view. The world that she saw was hopeless She was a failure. She said, I'm going to the one that can see it all, that can see beyond this, because he is the one that can do it. Hannah's prayer did change here. This is really important. We need to pay attention to her prayer, because her prayer changed from a request, God give me a son, to an actual partnership, a relational, conversational prayer. It actually reminds me, if you go, let's flash forward to something Jesus said, Matthew 11, 28. He says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. 
Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest in your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Hannah walked up to the temple in the presence of God. She said, I am burdened, I am weak, please give me rest. The idea of taking this yoke is so interesting that Jesus is saying this thousands of years later, but this is exactly what happened. She takes that yoke up with God. She says, okay, God, if you give me a son, let's do this together. I will give you back my son. I will give him to you so he will serve you the rest of his days. She probably asked the prayer a hundred times of God, just give me a son. But this one moment, she changed it. She changed it to a vow. And it's a very interesting vow. It's called the Nazarite vow, where the, the line where she says that no razor will touch his head. You may recognize this from the story of Samson, where he couldn't cut his hair, and that's where his power came from. Also, there is evidence of that for John the Baptist, where his parents make a promise, the Nazarite promise, a vow as well. So we do see this other places of scripture. So uh, to give a little context, the priesthood uh, was done through the family of Levi. The Levites were the priests. So this, this man, Eli, and his sons, they were of that lineage. But somebody else could take the Nazarite vow. This would mean that they would abstain from alcohol. They would uh, uh, stay away from any taboo or unclean things, live the life as a priest. But this was represented in not cutting their hair. So this is what... The, the vow that Hannah is actually making for her unborn son. She's promising to God to give him back to him. So she would bear a son and give him back to serve him for the rest of his days. This is important because here, let's look at what Hannah actually did. She, in this moment, in this partnership with the Lord, she decided to forego all the things that was hurting her. She now... Will not, would not have a son to work the lands, to give her the stature that she was looking for, to be a part of the community. She also was giving up her future and who would take care of her. Samuel would be in the temple working as a priest. But God answered her prayer and he gave her Samuel, which, she named, which means God has heard. God heard the anguish, but he also heard the idea of a partnership bringing back to what God had created man to do with him, they in turn did this together. It was a call of hope and return. God benefits others, as we can talk about in a minute with what Samuel does in his place in this story. If we were to write this story for Hannah, it would probably go as Hannah prays, Hannah gets pregnant, Hannah is joyful, and the storms of her life dissipate. But Hannah went a different route, a reversal, if you will, Hannah prays, Hannah is joyful, Hannah gets pregnant. The moment where she stands up and just believes what Samuel says, she believes in faith. Her faith allowed her to see past her moments. She could still only see the hopelessness, but she, she knew that God, the one who could see beyond her situation, she could trust in him and take her through. God honors this vow of Samuel, goes on to be a priest in the temple. Samuel restores the temple even from Eli's sons. We mentioned them uh, earlier. Uh, it's a great story you should read, but they were kind of, uh, yeah, they weren't, they weren't good people, and they abused their, their abilities as priests. Samuel was one that was a, kind of set things right. Samuel also stood up and 
listened to the Lord when the people were calling for a king and, and anointed Saul. Then later he went on and found David. He didn't take the obvious choice of the older sons. He picked the youngest guy, David, and then David grows up to be this mighty king. You probably heard a lot about him. His lineage takes us to Jesus. Jesus comes to this world. He's born as a baby. He grows up. He teaches us amazing things. He brings heaven to earth. He dies for our sins. He raises again by defeating death. He uh, sends out his disciples to later become apostles to bring his gospel to the world, which leads us to today because you're watching this today because somebody mentioned something about Jesus to you. Hannah's story is in there too. We don't have a David story without Samuel. We don't have a Samuel without David or Samuel without Hannah. But we don't have a Jesus either. That lineage, that, that promise that Jesus would come from the line of David. We don't have a Jesus story without a Hannah. Hannah is so important and I'm so glad we got to tell her story today. But let's look at how far could Hannah see? Just like you and I. She was human just like you and I. She could see the situation she was in, the hopelessness. But she went to the one that could see beyond it and leaned on him for hope. So how far can we see in our own situations? Who is the savior we're looking for in our own cultural context when we don't feel like our, our jobs are living up to our expectations or those around us? We're not living up to the family name. We're not living up to our house doesn't look good enough. Our job is not well enough. We don't have the right relationship. Life is just not working out. Who are we looking to? Are, we, are our prayers limited by the view that we have, the box that we're in, the room we're in? Or are our views, are our prayers matching the views of our Savior we're praying to? Are we partnering with the Lord when we pray, just as Hannah did? Let's learn what Hannah did, to, did, did today. Hannah was a nobody to people around her, but a hero in the eyes of God. So are you. Hannah sought a partnership with God through her pain. So can you. Hannah brought, or God brought Hannah out of her limitations. He will do this for you. Jesus sees your pain, your sorrow, your hopelessness, and seeks to partner with you in his story. This is true for you. Jesus sees you. He loves you. He loves you in your pain and your grief. He is with you. As we close today, we're going to finish Hannah's story a little bit here. So if you need to pause the video right now to grab a Bible, go ahead and do so. That is fine. If not, you can actually go to lovechapelhill.com Sunday. Go down to the message portion. There is a prayer written by Hannah. We're going to read this together. This prayer is so important. This is the moment actually after she, get, she raised Samuel to a young boy, enough to be able to take care of himself a bit and turn him over to Eli to be raised in the temple. And this is her prayer on that day. If you want to read along with me. My heart rejoices in the Lord, and the Lord my horn is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your, in your deliverance. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one beside you. There is no rock like our God. Do not keep talking so proudly or let your mouth speak such arrogance. For the Lord is a God who knows, and by him deeds are weighed. The bows of warriors are broken, but those who stumble are armed with strength. 
Those who are full hire themselves out for food, but those who are hungry hunger no more. She who was barren has borne seven children, but she who has had many sons pines away. The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes and has them inherit a throne of honor. For the foundations of the earth are the Lord's. Upon them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his saints, but the wicked will be silenced in darkness. It is not by strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord will be shattered. He will thunder against them from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. If you feel trapped in your situation, is it time for you to get up? Go to the one that could see beyond your situation. I challenge you to get up today.